By now you'll have heard or seen that I'm working with a new golf app called Tangent, who are also sponsoring this show. It's the smartest AI caddy in golf and is able to recommend not only clubs to hit, but target locations based on the math behind strokes gained and your own personal shot patterns. Unlike many other shot trackers, it also takes into account and adjusts for hazards that are out there. It has sensorless tracking with an amazing automatic swing detection that you can use with your Apple Watch or your phone without any need to buy any attachments for your clubs. And my favorite part, the post-round analysis data helps you immediately see where you can improve and gives you simple breakdowns that you can dive into if you want much more detail about your stats. It then links this data to recommendations and actual practice drills that you can use to improve. Getting measurable data for both on-course and practice drills makes Tangent one of the best game improvement ecosystems that I've ever seen. So download Tangent for free on the Apple App Store or at tangent.golf and use promo code SWEET30, that's S-W-E-E-T-3-0, for 30% off. So you'll get a free trial, and if you like it and want to continue, it'll give you 30% off a subscription. So just try it out, play a few rounds with it, and I know you'll love it. So that's Tangent, T-A-N-G-E-N-T, and enter code SWEET30. Welcome back to another episode of The Sweet Spot. This is John Sherman from Practical Golf, and as always, I'm joined by... Adam from Adam Young Golf. So before we get into today's topic, Adam's been like posting some ridiculous strokes gain data on Twitter and social media, and he's texting it to me. This guy's gaining, what are you getting, like eight strokes on approach versus a scratch player? Like what the hell's going on? What are you doing? You like you asked me earlier, you said, are you hitting it to six feet all the time? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> it's one of those freaky moments where you're on form and it's been three in a row now, three last three rounds have been pretty good. But I mean, the thing that people can learn from this is I'm still not capitalizing on it. You know, He's I still, the putts. <laughs> yeah, I had what plus 8.8 strokes gained the other day. Actually, let me go back on insta and check it but yeah plus 8.8 strokes gained long game but my putting still sucked i did hold a couple of long putts to make up for that but i also i think i three putted twice and yeah it's just you never have all your game firing at once it's just it's ridiculous i think two thirds rule two thirds rule my man exactly i've known over the years i've gotten to know some very elite ball strikers And I almost think it's like the curse of a really good iron player sometimes is because you give yourself so many looks at birdie, you start seeing it over and over again. I missed an eight footer. I missed a 12 footer. I missed a nine footer because you're not supposed to make all of those anyway. And it can create this. It's almost like you're manifesting a problem with the putter that might not exist had you only been hitting like 30 or 40% of your greens. So I've seen this before where people are just on fire with their approach play and then putting is just, oh, I just can't get the amount of putts I need to feel like I'm really cashing in on all this. And that's, this game's tough. (laughs) Yeah, I think those stats, they wash out over the course of a few rounds of golf. So looking at putting stats in particular over over one round can be misleading. Oh, for sure. 
But yeah, looking at the stats now, I was 5.4. These are all compared to a scratch. People ask me, why don't I compare to a pro? And I say, because I only play once every two weeks. <laughs> so I compare to scratch. Just because I, I like to see what handicap level it would be. Because that's, I don't know. I mean, I have looked at it compared to pros as well. And it was strokes gained compared to the pro. But that's not normal for me, definitely. But yeah, I was hitting a lot of shots at six feet. Gained over nine shots from tee to green against a scratch. So plus nine handicap from scratch, but then lost shots in putting. I'd still take that every day of the week. Yeah, it was fun, but I hit a lot of shots into 10 feet and didn't hole any of them, really. The only ones that I, I hold were just three footers where I tap ins. <laughs> there were a few, a couple of short par fours on there, things like that. There was one drivable par four. I drove it to about three feet on it. So that, that bumps up your, your driving strokes gain significantly. But yeah, my six to nine foot range in putting was minus 1.6. So I lost stroke, strokes to a scratch on that. But hitting the ball well right now, I'll take it. It won't last forever. I predict that your putting performance will improve once you are not as hot with your driver and irons anymore. That's what's going <laughs> to <Yeah>. happen. <laughs> I'm guessing that's what ha that'll happen as well. Yeah. So good. How are you playing? Have you, have you been playing? I know you're injured right I'm now. I'm not right? playing. I'm still rehabbing this elbow. I'm hitting balls infrequently. Not much. We're recording this on February 1st, so it's the middle of winter here anyway, so I don't really have an opportunity to play other than hitting balls in my simulator. But yeah, I'm... Unfortunately, I'm still I'm still dealing with this elbow thing. I've still got pain. I, I am rehabbing it. I'm doing every single thing I can so that I can play golf if I had to right now. I'd be fine, but I just want to make sure I take care of this before my season gets started. So yeah, I'm just working on this book as my main focus. I think I'm almost finished with it. And yeah, there's not much to report from my golf game, unfortunately. Nice. Well, use, using the time wisely. Yeah, I'll live vicariously through you right now. All right. So what is the topic today? So just to show you how in-depth our planning is on this show, Adam and I usually text back and forth. We're like, oh, we should record another episode. Great. What do you want to do? And then I'll think for five seconds. I'm like, have we done angle of attack? Adam's like, I don't think so. And I can't remember. I'm like, all right, let's do that. So <laughs> that was our planning for the show. I think we want to tackle each topic like this separately, even though we do mention them in a lot of episodes. So people hear terms like this, swing path, angle of attack, a lot of these terms, and they, they don't fully understand what they are. And I think our, our goal here is to kind of give you a well-rounded discussion on what it is and how it's relevant to your game. I don't think you need to be an expert. I'm not an expert. I told Adam before we hit the record button this, this might be an interview of me asking Adam a lot of stuff because I am not, I think I have a maybe an intuitive understanding of angle of attack, but it's not something I think about a lot or measure a ton. But yeah, we figured we would kind of go through it. We got a lot of good questions from social media. So thanks for that. I think there's a lot of myths around angle of attack. So we'll, we'll, we'll talk about those as well. But yeah, it's something that like when I first started writing on Practical Golf, and I was getting involved in like golf Twitter and people would say like angle of attack. And I respond like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Like, I literally have no clue what you're saying. When someone, I remember someone wrote AOA. I'm like, what the hell's AOA? And they're like, oh, you don't know what angle of attack is? I'm like, no, I don't. We're going to nerd out. 
Yeah. A lot of you have heard about it before. Some of you probably know a lot about it. Some of you might know nothing, but we're going to tackle that in this. We'll see if it's a two-parter. I predict it's a two-parter. We'll see. Yeah, especially with the questions. We'll really nerd out. I didn't prepare for this until this morning. I sat down over a cup of coffee and I said, right, let's do an hour of writing notes. And two hours later, I'm still writing notes going, right, we're going to start the podcast soon. So I don't know if I've got everything here. It is one of those topics where you could probably write a whole book about this and all the things it's connected to because angle of attack isn't just angle of attack. It's connected to a lot of other things in the impact interval. And I think you understand that quite well teaching as long as you have and working on track man and the quad and understanding how swing direction and path and angle of attack and all of them work together because in the golf swing, you can never just change one thing in isolation. It will change something else as well. And that's why we, we often talk about matchups. So I'm interested to hear what you have to say on this. So where do we start? Where do you want to start? Well, John, you give us what what is angle of attack? What have you learned it is? If I'm remembering correctly, it's the upward or downward movement of the golf club through the compression at maximum compression is or the impact zone. Is that correct or close to correct? Yeah, and I suppose that that goes into how do you define it? Is it through the impact zone, you know, the middle point of compression, or is it pre-touch or the first point of contact with the ball? Because they can be different. I know that quad measures, the foresight measures at the first point of contact. So whether the club is moving up or down as it is just about to contact the golf ball. Whereas TrackMan measures angle of attack during the middle of the collision with the golf ball. Yeah, that can actually create different numbers. So if you have a, a track man and a quad running side by side, they'll probably produce different numbers. How different have you seen them? I've never done a side by side comparison. All I know is from experience, and I'm talking about when I used to use the TrackMan 3, so it's the older model, I find that it's much more it was much more intuitive for me when changing angle of attack with the GC quad versus the TrackMan. So for example, if I wanted the shallow angle of attack and then steepen it, I get very predictable results with the quad, whereas I found it harder to change with the TrackMan. And that could be down to how it's measuring because I suppose we're diving in straight into the weeds here, but there's something, a guy called Dave Tuttleman, he's got a very good website. And yeah, his site's is, incredible. Yeah, his stuff goes into so much detail that he's my go-to resource whenever I've got complex questions. And he talked about, he called it Newton's divot. So now when a club comes in and it hits the golf ball, the golf ball actually forces the club down through impact. So the, the club deflects downwards. So you could, in theory, come in with a neutral angle of attack, a zero angle of attack, so the club is coming in perfectly level. Then as it hits the ball, the ball causes the club to deflect downwards, and the club can exit impact with something like a minus 8, minus 10 angle of attack, something like that. So it does depend on the speed the club is moving because that changes the force. It depends on a bunch of things, really. You know, the rate of angle of attack change and things like that. But all you need to know is the club is probably going to exit or is going to exit with a steeper angle of attack than it entered impact. And so it changes through impacts. You might see different numbers with different devices. Good to know. So I think there's a lot of myths around angle of attack. I know that when I was a junior golfer, we would always say you're told like with your iron, oh, you have to hit down on the ball to make it go up. 
and I've probably referred to this on the show before where I would just be like slamming my club into the ground on a, at a driving range mat. And when you think about it, the geometry of it or what we know now with the launch monitors, like if you want to make the ball go higher with your driver, you need a positive angle of attack. Like that's going to help the ball launch at a higher angle. So it doesn't make sense that if you're hitting down, if your iron is moving on a downward trajectory through the golf ball, why would it make it go up? Wouldn't it make it go down more? <laughs> it doesn't. In fact, angle of attack has very little, in itself has very little to do with the launch angle of the golf ball. In fact, it's around about a quarter of a degree of launch change for every degree that you hit up or down on it. So say you hit 10 degrees down on the ball, more than you normally do, the ball only launch about two degrees lower two and a half degrees lower, something like that. So, and that, that's a big angle of attack change as well. 10 degrees is, is quite big to achieve only a two degree launch change. So as I understand it, the actual delivered loft of the club is the most influence on like what trajectory it's going to launch at. I mean, there's other factors as well, but for the sake of simplicity, yeah, if someone was trying to hit down on it to make it go up. That's not what's happening. It's the club's loft or how you're delivering that loft, whether you're, let's say at a seven iron and your hands are really far ahead. So you're de-lofting it. The, the ball's going to launch a little bit lower. If your hands are behind, you're adding loft. So it launches a little bit higher. That's going to have way more influence than angle of attack would on its initial launch trajectory. Yeah. So the other 80% of that launch equation is down to the dynamic loft. The interesting thing is while angle of attack and dynamic loft are separate, they're not the same thing, they do tie in very closely. And it tends to be that if you hit down on it more, you increase the steepness of the angle of attack, you also tend to de-loft it more because lots of the mechanics that create a steeper angle of attack also tend to de-loft it. Now, they are separate. You can have a steep angle of attack with low loft, and you can have a steep angle of attack with high loft. And you can have a shallow angle, angle of attack with low loft, shallow angle of attack with high loft, and everything in between those. So they're separate variables, but they do tie in. If you take the same golfer and you get them to hit steeper on it, by however means, they will, in 95% of cases, also produce lower loft as well. So that actually goes against that old adage of hit down to make it go up. Yeah, you're hitting down to make it go down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, if you hit down on it more, not only does a, a steeper angle attack cause it to launch marginally lower, but you also tend to reduce the dynamic loft as well, which is a bigger influence on launching lower. Now, where the hit down to make it go up phrase probably comes from is when beginners start they're always trying to scoop the ball in the air they're trying to get under yeah. it and scoop it and the problem with that is the ground is in the way so the problem with that is players then get stuck between hitting a foot behind it and topping it because <laughs> they can't get under it because the ground's in the way or they just miss the ground completely and top it and so the ball in both cases rolls along the ground and the answer is not necessarily to hit down more but get the ground contact or the club to contact the ground closer to the golf ball yeah and another as i was like thinking about this episode another you can tell me if it's a myth a lot of people especially in the the wedge game or with iron say like oh you've got to hit down on it more to spin it more now i know there's maybe that's a half truth 
because perhaps you can get some better contact and friction if your angle of attack was steeper. But does angle of attack on its own, I don't know if that's hard to answer for you, does that create more spin on the ball? It can for a couple of reasons. Number one is you have a greater chance of creating clean contact with a steeper angle of attack. It doesn't need to be super steep, but it tends to be... If you think about the club coming into impact like an aeroplane... Right, so imagine you're an ant on the ground and you're looking at the golf ball and there's this big, massive golf ball and you've got a forest of grass between it, between the golf ball or behind it. Well, if that aeroplane or club is coming in steeper, is crash landing into the ball, it's going to be traveling less through that forest of grass. Does that make sense? So you're going to get less debris trapped between the club face and the ball. And when that happens, you get cleaner contact more friction because there's less grass trapped between the ball and the face yeah that less uh, that increase in friction can create more spin so that's one of the reasons why that might be true the other reason and spin is mainly created by spin loft and spin loft is the difference between the angle of attack and the dynamic loft So where that loft is pointing and how steep that club is, the bigger the gap between those two, that's what creates, or that's a big influence on spin. So in itself, yes, if you were just to hit down on it more and keep the loft the same, yes, you would spin it more. But it tends to be in the real world when people hit down on it more, they also de-loft it by roughly the same amount. So they don't increase spin loft necessarily. You have to increase spin loft if you want that adage to be true. So you you would have to, if you're the way I'm understanding this, so if you got steeper and you went from, let's say, like a negative three to a negative six angle of attack with your iron, now typically you're saying that you'll de-loft it more so that the decreased loft, I mean, that kind of turns that seven iron into a six iron and a six iron is not going to spin it as much as the seven iron. So that would have more influence on the spin of the ball versus just the decrease in angle of attack is like many things in the golf swing. Like if you change one thing, something else changes with it. As you said, the de-lofting usually comes with it. That that does make sense to me in my experience, but that's when people talk about something like this, they often talk about it in isolation being like, oh, hit down on it, spin it more. And I, that's probably more so in the wedge game, but even in the rough, like we've talked about let's say you have a deeper lie in the rough, your number one goal is to have as little debris and grass trapped between the golf ball and the club face. And one of the ways to do that is to come in with a, as you said, crash land that plane. You could do that with a higher lofted club because your angle of attack is usually, I guess we'll get into this, but I'm going to have a more negative angle of attack with my nine iron than my six iron. So that's one way to do it. Or you could physically We'll talk about this too, you know, maybe put your weight forward, try and hit on a steeper angle to get cleaner contact with the golf ball. So out of the rough, that makes perfect sense too, because you're dealing with debris and you don't want that debris getting trapped on the club face because you just won't spin it as much. The ball won't go as far and you have less control over it. There's a lot of things that happen. Yeah. So in isolation, if you were to just hit down on it more and keep everything else the same, then yes, the ball would spin more. However, in the real world, you hit down on it more, we tend to de-loft it by the same amount. So you end up with just the same spin, just launching lower. Makes sense. Hopefully it makes sense to everyone else. 
Where do you want to start? Do you have any other myths you want to tackle? I'm going to let you kind of take the reins on the direction of this conversation. And then we do have a lot of questions. We'll probably answer a few of them along the way, and then maybe we'll save them for the end of the conversation. But where do you like to start when you're explaining this to people? Yeah. So on the what is it part of angle attack, you've you've said about how we can either hit up or down or level with the ball. In terms of launch monitors, because lots of people, lots of listeners use launch monitors, a neutral angle attack is classed as zero. And then any positive numbers mean you're hitting up on it. And any negative numbers mean the club is working down through impact. And again, different devices might produce different numbers. You know, it, it wouldn't be out of the round the sea a zero angle of attack on a quad and then you look at the track man and it says it's a minus two or minus three because they're measuring at different points pre-impact versus during the impact interval even you know you have to think about what's happening through impact as the club is in contact with the ball often the club is also in contact with the ground the sole of the club is touching the ground in many cases especially on a tight lie and that can influence the angle of attack as well. So say, for example, you go and get fitted on a lie board, you know, those hard bits of plastic you place the ball on. Well, have you ever done that, John? Have you ever been fitted on one of those? A long time. Like I did it at Pete's Golf probably when I was like 23. So that's 17 years ago. Did you notice any change with the ball flight when you did that? You probably did it indoors, so it was tough to see. Yeah, but... we did it. I had no clue what was going on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've done them outdoors, and they're really fun to hit off, actually, because you can get away with hitting behind it. But what tends to happen is when you hit off a lie board, the ball launches higher and has a lot less spin on it. And one of the reasons why, or the main reason why, is when that club is in contact with the ball, it's also in contact with the plate at the bottom, the plastic plate. And that stops the club moving down through impact. It almost acts like a, like a trampoline. Yeah. yeah, it deflects yeah. the club upwards. It actually, the club is more likely to bounce up off this hard ground. And so you can imagine if that club is bouncing up more through impact or moving down less, you've changed the angle of attack or the dynamic angle of attack, the attack through the impact interval. And so that can cause, it actually causes some favorable effects. The ball flies a hell of a lot farther because the spin loft gets reduced. You can turn that eight iron into a seven iron. The ball launches higher and with less spin. And that combination, you get less spin loft, so more smash, less spin and higher launch. And it can easily go a good club, if not too farther. So when you are getting fit on a lie board, just be careful. The numbers that are being produced are probably not realistic to what you'd be hitting on a normal turf or even a range mat. I can't imagine many people are using lie boards anymore. I feel like that's a thing of the past. No, yeah, I think it's going away. But it even happens to a certain effect on just a driving range mat. Sometimes you go there and they've got those hard, shiny mats and they're directly on the concrete and that's going to produce more of a bounce-up effect. Even, you know, we use fiber-built mats. And I like the fiber-built because it's sitting on bristles and that allows the club to move downwards more realistically through impact. And actually, I've got on my fiber-built mat, I've got a place that I can stand and a place that I can hit, and they're different textures. And I've actually hit balls from each 
And on the bristles, I produce a lower launch with higher spin because there's less of that upward bounce. And then if I place the ball on the part where I stand, which is more like a regular driving range mat, I produce a higher launch with lower spin and a little bit more distance. People have done some testing on Trackmans where they'll go on a driving range mat versus grass and you're going to spin it way less on the mat, especially a mat like that that has that trampoline effect. It's not very thick. And then if we go to the other end of the extreme, so going from a lie board, which is one hand, the hard lie that's going to bounce up a lot. And then you go to the other end, which is maybe if you're in a fairway bunker and you're hitting a shot. Now the fairway bunker, the, the sand is going to give away more than even the groundwood. And so what you tend to see from a fairway bunker, because the club is working down more through impact, because there's no support from the sand, you'll get a lower launch with higher spin. And that's why we tend to, even with a pure strike from a fairway bunker, you'll tend to launch it a little lower and maybe get half a club less distance. And you may notice it spins a lot more. If you've ever really flushed one from a fairway bunker and you see it hit the green and it spins a lot, but maybe lands a bit shorter. That's why the angle of attack and spin loft are constantly changing from pre-touch, from just as the club is touching the ball, then through the impact interval and then exiting the ball. If you really want to dive into the angle of attack, you can look at those three different variables or three different points in space. So yeah, it depends what you're measuring on. It depends what part you're measuring. It depends what the turf is as well. Even depends what the club is. If you've got a thick, chunky sole on your club, you're more likely to get that support from the ground through impact. Whereas if you've got a thinner bladed club, the club is more likely to dig into the turf. And so that's probably one of the reasons why better players prefer blades is because they get more consistent spin lofts or dynamic spin lofts through the impact interval. Whereas say you're using a big chunky club and you hit it just a quarter of an inch behind, that club might bounce up more than the blade would. And then, you know, you all of a sudden you get a shot that launches a little higher, even spins less, and you can get a flyer from the middle of the fairway, especially if the turf is hard. Whereas with a blade, it's more likely to dig in. And whether you hit half an inch behind or ball first, you get more consistent outcomes with those. Makes sense. What are you more concerned with when you're teaching and looking at angle of attack? Is it mostly like, you know, because people want to know like, oh, we got a lot of questions saying, what are target rates for angle of attack? And that's a tough one to answer because like many things in golf, I don't think one exists because there's swing speed has a lot to do with it. Like if you took a player who is a below average swing speed and told him to hit down on it eight degrees with a seven iron, things probably aren't going to go that well for him versus a, a tour player. A lot of them are incredibly steep with their irons and they can get away with that because they have a ton of speed. So do you want to talk about irons? Like what's next on your list on, you know, explaining this to people and looking for functional angles of attack? Yeah, I would say I use a GC quad. So that measures pre-touch. So with irons, I'm usually looking for about three to seven degree down with a seven iron something like that, between three and seven degrees on the downswing. So it's steep enough that we can create all the positive benefits, which we'll go through of a, of a steeper angle attack. But it's not so steep that a player is launching the ball very low. Again, they're tied in. 
They're separate variables, launch and angle of attack, but they are tied in. It tends to be that steeper players, players with steeper angle of attacks will launch the ball lower. So, you know, if I see someone eight degrees down with a seven iron that's quite steep, if they have a lot of speed and they're launching it low, but they're still reaching a, a high peak height in the distance, so that ball's still coming down steeply and it's, you know, they got lots of stopping power, I'm okay with it. So that would be an example, maybe a Brooks Kirpko or something like that. Very steep with the irons. I think I've seen him as much as 10 degrees down, launching it about 13 degrees with a seven iron, which is very low, but he's got so much speed that that's not a problem for him. Now, if you get Mrs. Havercamp or Mr. Havercamp to do that, they've got half the swing speed of Brooks Koepka, then that launch angle is probably going to be too low. Yes, you could take that same steep angle of attack and just add loft, but now they'd be producing so much spin loft, the ball wouldn't have a lot of distance to it. So you're probably better off creating a shallower angle of attack for that player to allow them to launch it higher. So my rule with the irons are it is three to seven degrees down with a seven iron is fine. If you're a higher speed player, I'm okay with steeper or the steeper end of the scale. If you're a lower speed player, I'm okay with the shallower. But I don't like to see the angle of attack go to zero with irons just because it causes too, much, too many problems with strike quality. We are going to take a quick break and we will be right back. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot. LinkedIn is not just a job board. It helps you hire professionals you cannot find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to a new perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. Also on LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Just recently, they even launched a new feature that helps you write your job description, making the process even easier and quicker. And they know that small business owners like myself and Adam are wearing so many hats and might not have the resources to hire, so it's a great place to get help. Now here's what you can do. Post your job for free at linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot. That's linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. We have an exclusive offer on one of my favorite golf shoe brands, True Linkswear. They just released their new Lux G Shoes, which is their first big release of 2024, and it is packed with a ton of features. The Lux G is available in both men's and women's models, and it combines tour level performance with a new fit and feel. You'll get the comfort that True Linkswear is known for with their Wonderlux midsole for a supportive yet comfortable ride. The Lux G is also fully waterproof with a two-year warranty, and they have designed it with their padded heel lock system to ensure stability throughout the entire golf swing. But they didn't stop there. True Linkswear always pays attention to the small details. There's padding on the back to prevent rubbing against your foot, an antimicrobial comfort insole, and the Lux G's come in multiple colors. Sweet Spot listeners can get 15% off the Lux G shoes by visiting truelinkswear.com and using promo code SWEETSPOT. 
Once again, that's truelinkswear.com and use promo code SWEETSPOT, that's one word, to get 15% off their new Lux G shoes. Is it a good general rule of thumb that, you know, let's say you're starting at seven irons, going to be, let's say, a player's around four down. If you increase loft, so you start going backwards through the bag, eight, nine, pitching wedge, on those clubs, you'll see a steeper angle of attack and then a more shallow angle of attack as you decrease loft. Is that a good rule of thumb for most players or, or do you see some players with an aberration to that? That rule of thumb does follow for most people and that's down to the length of the club. So obviously that correlates with a changing loft. As you go to a higher loft, you've got a shorter club that steepens the vertical swing plane. And so, yeah, it creates a steeper angle of attack with wedges. So if someone is say four degrees down with a seven iron, they might de- be eight degrees down with a wedge and only two degrees down with say a five wood off the deck. But there's lots of things technically you can do to change angle of attack as well. And I have seen where certain situations where players are pretty good angle of attack with a seven iron and then you put a wedge in their hand and all of a sudden they're trying to scoop it because they see the loft staring up at them. They have a false concept of how to get that ball in there and they try and get under it and scoop it. And all of a sudden their angle attack goes up with a wedge, even though it should get steeper. So obviously if all else were equal, if you get a robot to swing the same and just put a different club in its hand, then yeah, you see steeper angles of attack with a shorter club. Anything else significant with irons? You know, another thing that I think about with angle of attack is its relation to ground contact or low point control as well. So if you had a player who was too steep with maybe that slower swing speed and they're having problems like initiating contact behind the ball, does it make it harder for them to get that ball first turf interaction with that steeper angle of attack? Let's say they're at negative eight, nine, 10, and you got them to four. Do you see that helping with low point control and ground contact? What I'd say is it's almost trade-off. So with a shallower angle of attack, the benefits are you can tend to launch the ball higher. So, you know, if I want to get a ball up and over a tree, I'm going to move the ball forward, things like that. We'll go through how to change angle of attack, but I might move the ball forward, shallow the angle of attack and apply more loft so I can get it up and over that tree. But the trade-off is you're actually more likely to hit the ground first when doing that. So it's very difficult to do. The the worst one to do is when you're out of a divot and you have to get it up and over a tree or on a very tight lie and have to get it up and over a tree. I'd much rather it be on a fluffy lie trying to get it up and over. So yeah, there's a trade-off almost between contact quality and the launch angle. Tends to be that when we make a steeper angle of attack, it's easier. It's not guaranteed, but it's easier to get that ball first contact. So contact quality might go up, but then the trade-off is a lower launching ball flight. So you're going to have less stopping power. So you're constantly trying to balance this. It's like a, a little gamble, right? It's like, all right, well, I need, I want this high flight or this low flight, but what's the lie offering me here? What can I do? What can I get away with here? Another thought I had, I think this was a question. I'll Maybe I'm jumping the gun here, but I've noticed you know, its relationship to club path. So for me, speaking anecdotally, the less in to out I've gotten, the steeper I've gotten. So let's say it was a seven iron going from eight into out to maybe two degrees, three degrees into out. That also, I was at like a zero, (laughs) almost level angle of attack to like three, four, five degrees down. 
is that a correlation you see with when you're working on club path? Does it necessarily influence angle of attack? Like how are those connected? Yeah, it depends how you change angle of attack, how you change the low point. So angle of attack is very tied into the low point position of the swing. So if you imagine that club is swinging down, 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 it reaches the lowest point and then it starts to travel up after that. So wherever that low point is, that's a neutral or zero angle of attack. If people are listening to this, think of a a Ferris wheel. Before the station, it's traveling down. All the people on the Ferris wheel are traveling down towards the station. And then after that station, the lowest point, they're all traveling up. So angle attack and you said club path, right? They are quite tied in and it, it can be complicated why. Now, if you swing more to the left... Say you swing more to the left. Say you're taking a divot and you're making that divot go more to the left. That will move the low point forwards, all else being equal. And when we move the low point forwards, you'll create a steeper angle of attack. So swinging more to the left can, in that scenario, create a steeper angle of attack. So that's what you found, I think, John, is you were very in to out before. You swung more to the left in doing so, that moved your low point forwards and it made your angle of attack steeper. So you got the positive benefits of less in to out swing path and a steeper angle of attack. Now, the other way to change angle of attack would be to just shift the low point forward. So imagine taking the Ferris wheel, picking it up and moving it laterally, shifting the low point forward. So think of weight shift maybe in a golf swing. Now, when you do that, that moves the low point forwards, that makes the angle of attack steeper, but this one moves the path more to the right. We've done this before. This is a real complicated one with D-plane, but imagine that Ferris wheel is tilted slightly. Oh, this is the one where they start vomiting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's tilted slightly. (laughs) Uh, Maybe it's on a 45 degree angle but it's still going round. Now, all those people on the Ferris wheel who are moving down towards the station, they're also moving out, or they're also moving to the right if you are viewing it from behind. And then when they reach the station, the low point, they're all moving level, level with the ground and level towards the target. Then after that station, they start moving back up the Ferris wheel. But because it's tilted, they're also moving to the left. They're also moving back in. So up and in versus down and out. So hopefully everybody's visualizing this. If you're driving your car right now, stop before you close your eyes to visualize this. Pull off to the side somewhere. But it is very complicated. It probably won't be understand. You might have to rewind this a good minute and listen to that again. But it depends how you change the angle of attack as to what effect it has on the path. So yeah, I as a coach, it's very easy for me to tie those in together. If I get a player like you, John, who's swinging to the right and a shallow angle of attack... I know if I just make you swing left, I'm going to get both of those variables to improve. I'm going to get the angle of attack steeper and I'm going to get the path more towards neutral. Whereas if I've got a player who's swinging left and they're hitting up on it, I know I need to shift their low point forwards laterally because in doing so, that is going to create a steeper angle of attack and it's going to actually move their path more to the right. 
it's going to make it more neutral. So I suppose that's one that needs to be left for the pros in a way, unless you're very, very good with the geometry and very good at understanding this stuff. So it is complicated, but did that answer your question, John? <laughs> yeah, I, that gives me some idea of what we're talking about. But How easy was that for you to visualize what I just said? The only thing that it's funny, like the feel versus real thing. One thing that I think about, or at least focus on with my irons is that I do try and keep a lot of pressure and weight on my lead side. So that would be my left foot versus when I'm hitting my driver and I'm trying to hit up on it, then like that pressure and weight is more distributed to the trail side. And, you know, I don't know if that, that's just me kind of messing around over the years and, and figuring out what creates a better ball flight and better ground contact. But yeah, I think over the years, like with the irons, that helped me. And I guess that potentially went a little bit against with what you said with the weight shift thing or getting my, I'm less into out now, I'm more down, but I also have this, I'm trying not to sway with my irons as much. So I'm just trying to keep my weight distributed more on my, on my lead side. I know I'm shifting my pressure during the swing to the trail side at some point, but that's just like one of my internal cues. But again, that's maybe a, a feel versus real thing. Yeah, it may have something to do with your tilts of your body. So your spine tilt, if you imagine your, your spine is tilting away from the target versus towards it, that can change swing direction as well. So it may be that when you have an iron and you feel like you're keeping your weight on your left, you're tilting your spine more to the left or less to the right. Now that's going to tend to make you swing more to the left and that would o override. Exactly. I want to be a little bit more like downhill. So I'm, I'm not hooking it. It's it's really a, a straighter shot for me. Yeah. So there's lots of these different matchups or different things balancing each other. So I know, for example, with the driver, I've got my tilts behind the ball. My spine is tilted a long way back. I'm hitting on the upswing. Now, hitting on the upswing, having my weight behind it will make the path move more to the left. However, tilting my spine more to the right makes the path move more to the right. And so those two cancel each other out and balance each other. So spine tilts change the path and can change low point, as can weight shift. So yeah, all these things are getting insanely complicated when you go into how to change low point and swing direction. Again, this is where a teacher, a teacher can look at a player and go, ah, okay, yeah, you just need to add more of this. And we get four or five things for, as a result of that. Yeah, I think that to, to like jump out of this for a second, because you are the teacher who understands all of this. And I'm more of the player who has not thought about this much. I've measured here and there, but I don't really think about angle of attack much, more so with the driver I have. But it's more of like a general, like with the irons, like, yeah, I'm trying to maybe be a little bit more downhill versus with the driver, I'm a little bit more uphill, if that makes sense, with the tilts and everything. I've tried to keep it simple. I think it's one of those things in golf where you're always trying to avoid extremes because extremes don't work for a lot of normal golfers. So if you had the golfer who was swinging 10 down on it, with a slow swing speed, like that's not a good matchup and it's too extreme. So you as the teacher or someone experimenting on their own, like they need to figure out a way not to be 
so steep on it. Is, is that what you want to go into next? How you can alter your angle of attack? What else is on your, your notepad there? Yeah, I mean, in terms of driver, I like to see a zero somewhere between level and five degrees on the upswing. You can get more distance out of it by hitting more up on it. And on the extreme ends of the scale, you see the long drive champions, you know, the guys who are hitting it 400 yards, they all hit about 10 degrees up on it. Now, is that necessary for the average golfer? No, I think five degrees on the upswing is relatively extreme. I'm about five to seven degrees on the upswing. I'm happy to do that myself, but I practice a lot and I've done that for many years. I don't like to see too many amateurs hit down on it. Now, that's not to say if someone comes to me and they're hitting three degrees down on it and they're a good driver of the ball and they can get it out there a decent distance, I'm not going to change that necessarily unless they say to me, I need to gain 20 yards at all. And I've tried swing speed training and it's not working. I'll say, okay, well, we can hit up on it a little bit more and you'll probably pick up a little bit of distance. There's a law of diminishing returns with it as well. You know, you'll see the greatest distance gains going from, say, a minus five angle of attack to a plus five angle of attack or even to zero. You won't see as much distance gain going from a a plus five to a plus 10. It's probably not worth it for most people. The people who it's worth it for are the long drive champions who make their their living out of hitting the ball as far as possible. Yeah, we've done, I'm sure longtime listeners are thinking back to our episodes on driver, launch monitors, but yeah, I think everyone's seen that track man chart at this point, but going from a negative to either neutral or slightly positive angle of attack is a way to launch the ball a bit higher which a lot of golfers need because they don't have the swing speed. Someone like Cam Champ, we've brought him up before. hes I don't know if he's still negative with his driver, but he swings at 125. He can afford to hit down on it a few degrees and, and control it more. But if you're swinging at 80 or 85 degrees and hitting two, three, four degrees down on it, yeah, you're not going to be as efficient distance-wise. So you need a little bit more help there. So that is going to be someone who benefits more from going like minus three to plus three. And we could do that with ball position, tee height, spine tilt, some of that stuff. And then there's probably some more technical interventions as well. Yeah, I mean, Cam Champ gets it out there over 300 yards, hitting maybe five down on it, something like that. But if if he wanted to hit it 350, yeah, he'd hit up on it more. And Bryson's a good example of someone who did that. He took these things to extreme, hit up on it, added speed, and just absolutely dominated in strokes gained driving. There's this kind of myth in the industry that if you hit up on it, okay, you'll hit it farther, but you'll hit it more offline. There's an element of truth to that. If you are hitting it farther, all else being equal, one degree offline at 250 is not as far offline as one degree offline at 350. And also there there can be spin loft reductions. When people hit up on it, they can reduce spin loft, which can increase curvature on the shot. So there's an element of truth to the hitting up on it results in more offline. However, you'd have to weigh that up with the strokes gained from the extra distance, right? If you pick up 20 yards by hitting up on it more, What's that in terms of strokes gained? Brody said for amateurs, about 0.2 of a shot. It's usually about 20 yards. So it actually, as your handicap increases, you're going to gain more strokes because, put it bluntly, like worse golfers stand more to gain from increases in distance than elite golfers. So yeah, if you add 20 yards to a 15-20 handicap, that could be like 0.3 strokes for some of them. It's a little bit of a sliding scale. 
Yeah, so say you take the middle ground, say you added 20 yards and it gives you 0.2 of a stroke extra each time you hit your driver. You hit your driver 14 times in a round, that's 2.8 strokes, almost three strokes in a round that you've gained. Now, if you hit one more out of bounds shot around, you're still positive strokes up. So you have to weigh these things up, that extra 20 yards and one more out of bounds shot you're still net positive. And there's no guarantee you'll hit that extra out-of-bounds shot either. Like I've looked at, I've I've monitored my stroke gain hitting up on it versus hitting neutral. And I'm actually more accurate hitting up on it. You know, accuracy is my strength as a player. So there's the human element of it as well. Yeah, I think it's something each player needs to monitor. So when I play in tournaments, like there's more of a premium in a tournament for keeping your tee shot in play. I think there's some psychological reasons and, and scoring reasons. So there are certain holes where it's more wide open and I know I can kind of tilt more and hit up on it and kind of really rip it. And then there's, you know, sometimes where like maybe I just don't have it that day and my face control isn't good. There are certain times where I know I could do the plus five, plus six thing, but there's certain methods, whether it's T height or other stuff I can do in my swing where I can get a little less up on it when I feel like I need to almost squeeze the ball and keep it in play. I think it's it's a bit of a feel thing for some players, maybe a more advanced tactic, but like I've found that I can't play the launch monitor like let's just hit this thing as high and far as possible all the time. I've had to f- try and find my balance because again, my my number one goal is keeping it in play when I'm competing. Obviously, I want to hit it far too, but if it's like I don't know, an eight yard difference, then like, yeah, I got to make sure that I'm not blasting a bunch OB or putting myself behind the trees because it's just very hard to score that way. So it like a lot of things, it depends, but that's one thing you can kind of work on yourself. If you do have the launch monitor access to them, you go to a simulator or something like that. It's something you can play around with and see what it does. That's kind of where I stand with it on my game. Yeah, it's interesting. As I say, you can test it on an individual level. Obviously, these things might change over time. The first ever time you try and hit up on it, you probably will spray it because it's a new technique. But what I'll say from a correlation point of view, and I know correlation isn't causation, but the best drivers I've seen tend to hit up on it a little bit more. And that includes the longest and the straightest. And if people say, oh, well, hitting down on it makes you more accurate. Well, I've seen people tend down on it or spray it everywhere. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So hitting down on it doesn't guarantee anything. To clarify my comments, I'm talking about probably like being plus three or plus six up on it. You know, when I'm swinging at my best, I know I'm like plus four, plus five, low 2000s, 14 degrees launch, good ball speed totally optimized. I don't think I've seen a negative angle of attack on my driver for a very long time. There's, yeah, I don't see any, for most golfers, again, who do not have elite speed, you want to be zero or above. I, I really can't think of any reason why you'd want to be negative. Again, unless you were just like super, super accurate. And when you tried to hit up on it, it was a total disaster for you. And I think that would be an aberration. Yeah, I tried to do a test the other day where I I was doing positive five versus negative five, and I really struggled. Even though as much as I know about the angle attack, I struggled to get it negative five. It was really difficult for me. I did in the end, but it required some really extreme feels, and I sprayed it everywhere when doing it. So I hit it much longer, obviously, and much more accurate when I was hitting plus five on it. So there's lots of variables going into it, and the only real way is test it for yourself. I mean, 
there's long-term versus short-term thinking, right? Long-term wise, you might think, right, let's get my angle of attack more positive with the driver so I can gain those strokes from extra distance. Yet if you've got a tournament coming up next week, test and see which one you're better with and use that one. There's all these different factors you have to take into account. But yeah, I suppose that goes into the myths. And there are a few myths with angle of attack that I want to go through. One of the myths, as we just discussed, is hitting down on it doesn't necessarily mean you'll hit it straighter. And hitting up on it doesn't necessarily mean you'll hit it more crooked. The biggest one I want to address is the difference between arc depth and angle of attack. Because that's probably the most common misconception is people will see a deep divot and they'll immediately say, oh, I'm too steep on it. My angle of attack is too steep. Steep and deep are different. So think of the club head as an aeroplane flying in. How steep you are is whether that club is coming in crash landing or whether it's coming in for a soft landing. Soft landing is shallow, crash landing is steep. Deep or arc depth is how how high that aeroplane is flying. Is it flying above the ground and how, how high? Or is it even flying below the ground in the, in the case of golf? So imagine the aeroplane could fly below the surface of the ground. So that's arc depth. Or if you think of a, a hula hoop, if you drop the hula hoop, if you were able to dig it into the ground, that's depth. Whereas the angle or the direction that uh, club is moving on the hula hoop is more the angle of attack. So they do tie in. They are very tied in, and there's a reason why people think deep is steep. It tends to be that people who have a steeper angle of attack tend to produce deeper divots as well, but they're not the same. I have seen very shallow divots produce steep swings, and I've seen steeper swings produce shallow divots. I know Joe Mayo, my good friend, he talks a lot about that in the short game, about how he can produce 12 degree, 15 degree downward angles of attack and barely touch the ground. You don't, you don't see any divots. So they're different things, but they are tied in slightly. And it depends on what the ball is sitting on as well. If it's sitting on top of lush grass or even sitting on top of a tee, I mean, you could hit 20 degrees down on it on a tee and not touch the ground at all. And you could hit up on it and take a big chunky divot behind the ball. <laughs> so they are very different things. Does that make sense to you, John? Yeah, I think to take your term, if you took the 100 golfers and you took most golfers who, let's say, have really good ground contact and low point control after getting ball first contact and then taking a nice divot afterwards, like most of them would have a negative angle of attack with their irons. Like if you saw someone hitting a seven iron and they're taking nice nice clean divots in front of the ball, that'd be awfully hard for them to have an upward angle of attack, correct? Yeah, yeah, exactly. The only way that would be possible would be with that Newton's divot thing, the downward deflection. Yeah, that, so you could come exactly. in and say, maybe you came in one degree on the upswing, so ever slightly on the upswing, and then the, cl- the ball knocks the club head down and you take a shallow divot after it. But that's, a, that's an extreme case. For the most part, if your divot starts on the ball, and the middle of your divot is in front of the ball, I, I would put money on it that your angle of attack is some degree negative. Yeah, yeah, divot reading isn't perfect. But even in my own game, like when I used to be very shallow, I was picking the ball for a very long time. And now I, I really don't pick the ball anymore. Maybe with like a four iron because, again, I notice on my launch monitor as loft decreases, like I'm going to be probably one down or level with a four iron. So yeah, I'm not going to take a divot 
I'm going to kind of sweep it a little bit more versus a seven, eight, nine iron. Yeah, I'm going to take a divot now that flies pretty far in front of me. So there's definitely correlation there. But like, yeah, it makes sense when you think about if you had someone who their arc depth was much higher, so that plane was flying at a higher altitude, they could have a negative 10 angle of attack and they're probably going to thin the ball and not take a divot, right? So they could be technically like sweeping it a bit with their ground contact with a negative angle of attack because the arc depth was so high. I've seen people on TrackMan and Quad where they beginners, where they're topping the ball, never getting anywhere near the ground, and yet their angle of attack is insanely steep. That plane is effectively crash landing into the top of the ball. <laughs> so in that instance, to get back to the original myth, hitting down on it does not, not make it go up because, yeah, if you're the bottom of the club is making contact with the middle of the ball. You're just going to top it despite having that very negative angle of attack. So you'd say on very good shots where you've struck ball first, then turf. So very good shots, angle of attack and divot and arc depth do correlate highly for most players. If you pick it, if your best shots are picky, you're probably, you've probably got a shallow angle of attack. And if your best shots have quite a deep divot, you've probably got a steeper angle of attack. But what I wouldn't want people to get from this is those players who go out, I've seen players who are so shallow and they go out and they make one chunky divot behind the ball and they say, oh, I got too steep on it. And you think, well, no, you probably didn't. Your angle of attack was probably still level. You just dug in deeper on that last one. So deep divot does not mean steep, even though it correlates. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Hopefully for everyone else too. Yeah. On the other one, swing plane as well is a big myth. Again, this is a high correlator, but not a causal factor. People with a steep swing plane, and this could be tracking the club head path, or more commonly what amateurs do is they look at the shaft angle. And if they're very steep coming down, if that club shaft is pointing straight up and down, they think that they're going to have a steep angle of attack. And while it correlates, because steep club shafts tend to make the club swing more left, swinging more left tends to produce a steeper angle of attack, they're not the same. I have seen people who are very steep with their club shaft who hit up on it. So imagine a beginner, they're coming down really steep and then they hang on their back foot and try and scoop it up in the air. So they could have an insanely steep club plane and a positive angle of attack. And I've seen the other side of it as well. Usually this is with pros. They might have a very shallow swing plane. Someone like Garcia drops the club head behind him, yet gets his low point way in front of the ball. And actually, if you look at his angle of attack, it'd be quite steep. Garcia would be an example of a shallow club plane, yet a steep angle of attack. So they're not the same. They do correlate a little bit. You know, if you take the same player and you make their plane steeper, their angle of attack will tend to get steeper as well and vice versa. But you can't just look at a shaft plane on camera and say, oh, that player has a steep angle of attack. You just can't get it from that. That's another question for you is, is it, can you figure out or should you even want to know your angle of attack without the launch monitor? Because some people are like measuring it with devices that aren't that accurate. You know, there are some swing analyzers that did it. And is it something that you really need to know? Well, like, let's say you weren't getting lessons and like, you're just kind of, you know, the regular golfer is practicing on your own. Yeah, for me, it's not the highest priority. I just want to make sure it's within a certain range. 
And say someone comes to me and they're like, Adam, I just hit it so low. Well, obviously I know, well, I'm, I'm going to increase their loft at impact. That's going to get the ball higher. However, if I look at the angle of attack and I see their 10 or 12 down on it, I will probably do something to shift the low point back to make them less down on it because that will have a positive effect on angle of attack and dynamic loft, which is the goal. The goal is the second part of that, the dynamic loft. But I get both of those in range then. Because if I just change, if I see someone as 12 down and I just add more loft, however I do that, you're going to increase the spin loft and they're going to get less smash. The spins are going to go up through the roof. So that might not be the best option. And there can be disadvantages to being severely steep on it as well. And same would go for the driver too. Like someone came to saying like, hey, I, I can't fly the ball more than 200 yards or 180 and it's just going super low. Like that's, you're going to look at that as well. Yes, I suppose it's very important when optimizing the driver, if they're hitting five degrees down and launching it seven degrees, uh, I know that launch angle is not optimal. Obviously, I could just even just tweak their club, you know, get the, the tool out, crank it a few, change, change the loft on the club. And then all of a sudden they're launching it higher. But now the spin's gone through the roof and the smash has gone down as well. So again, in that case, someone's hitting five degrees down. Let's get them hitting a little bit more up on it so they'll launch it higher whilst maintaining spin and smash. Yeah, and that's a good, I think we potentially had this in another episode, but it's worth mentioning again. It is, you know, when you do have that player who's launching it low and they might still be spinning it a lot, adding loft to the driver, as you said, is not always the answer and increasing angle of attack is an efficient way to get them launching it higher without adding spin. Because again, if you if you had a 10 degree loft driver and you start cranking it up to 12, 13, 14, you're going to be adding spin to launch it higher as well. And you can take that same 10 degree driver and go from very down to very up with your angle of attack and achieve that higher launch without the trade-off of higher spin and less ball speed too. That's been one of the, when people argue against hitting up on it with the driver, they often say, oh, well, if you hit down on it and crank the loft up, you increase spin loft so the, the ball goes more accurate. And that's true. But it also goes shorter. Yeah, there's and a trade-off so, there. Yeah, and so if you wanted to do that, if you wanted to increase spin loft, just go to a five wood or three wood. You know, so if I'm hit, I hit up on my driver a lot to get it out there as far as I possibly can. Well, if I need that higher spin loft shot that hits the fairway, I'll just go to a three wood. I don't need to change my driver technique. So that that argument is a little bit silly really that hitting down on it is more accurate <laughs> because of increased spin loft there's truth to it but just go to a five wood or three wood instead one of the other myths path correlation with steepness again correlates but does not cause so most people think what john that swinging left equates to what kind of angle attack what do most people more think? down yeah yeah that's what most people think oh I, if i swing left i'm swinging steep on it if i swing from the inside i'm going to be shallow Again, very high correlator. For most people, it's true. But because of that whole D-plane thing, if you think of the Ferris wheel again that's tilted, you can get situations, and usually I see this with good players, where they're very, very shifted forwards. Their low point is ahead of the golf ball, and that makes the club move down and out more. So this player would be steep angle of attack, but they'd have a rightward swing path. So this does happen as well. 
steep angle of attack and right swing paths. And I see a lot of beginners who swing left who are shallow. So imagine the player who's trying to scoop it. This also a slicer as well. So they're on their back foot swinging left and trying to scoop it up in the air. That player would have a steep club plane. They'd have a shallow angle of attack, but they'd be swinging left. So swinging left doesn't mean you're steep in terms of angle attack. And swinging right doesn't mean you're shallow in terms of angle attack. They correlate highly, but they're not guarantees. You need to get on a launch monitor to see those things, really. The other myth, we touched on this a lot, the launch of a shot. Lots of people think, oh, if I launch the ball low, I must be steep. And if I launch the ball high, I must be shallow. Again, very high correlator, but not a causal factor. The launch of the shot is more down to the dynamic loft you produce. So they're extreme examples. Again, I've seen players, usually good players, who are quite shallow through impact with a low flight. This was probably you a few years ago, John, maybe hitting a big hockey shot that would fly a little lower and you're very shallow and picky. And then I've seen people who are very steep who hit it high. So again, this may be the beginner who's early releasing. So they're adding a lot of loft through impact, but they're also swinging very steep on it. It would seem like, I'm just thinking about it physically, it would seem harder yeah. to have a very downward negative angle of attack with your hands behind the ball, like adding loft. It seems like a very like uncomfortable motion to make because again, if I was trying to hit down on it, you told me like, hey, take this eight iron and hit 10 down on it. I'm going to de-loft the hell out of it yeah. too as well, probably. It is hard. The times that I see that, usually it would be someone who's swinging left a long way and that's what creates for them the steeper angle attack because when we swing more left we move the low point forwards so swinging left in itself doesn't mean you're steep but if it moves the low point ahead of the ball it will and then they use a very big scooping action so just like insane really early release to add loft back on or they open the face up a lot to the right and that adds loft back up so they'll get a high launching ball but they're actually a steep angle of attack usually in that situation the ball goes absolutely nowhere so they've got no smash factor on it at all great combo it's a it's a beginner problem you know probably not many even high handicappers would have it but i've seen it i have seen it so yeah, the launch, you can't tell angle of attack necessarily by the launch of the ball. You can insinuate it, but you can't tell it exactly. And a big one, this is a huge myth. Pop-up drives or skied shots. When you hit a drive and it goes straight up in the air, everybody says, oh, I hit down on it too much. Again, it correlates, but it does not. It's not the causal factor. That's probably an arc depth issue, right? It's an arc depth issue first. That's the first thing I will change with the player because you can hit down on it. Even with a driver, you can hit down on it and hit high on the face or low on the face. And you can even hit up on it and hit high on the face and low on the face. I, I did the other day, I was trying just silly things to try and hit up on it as much as I could. And I used the biggest tee that I could. And I hit 10 degrees up on it and still skied it hit one of those. So it's possible to, to do that. So it's more of a depth issue. How high was the club head swinging through impact? So again, think of the aeroplane analogy, the ball sitting in space and you've got the club head, which is the aeroplane coming in. The angle of attack is whether that plane is going up into the ball or down into the ball. Now, whether you sky it 
is whether the plane swings too low relative to the ball or too high relative to the ball. When we sky a shot, the plane has basically swung too low relative to the ball. Think of the plane missing the ball completely and swinging below it. That's a skied shot. And that plane could be going up as it swings, as it flies below the ball, or it could be going downwards as it flies below the ball. Whether it flies below the ball is the cause of a skied shot or not. So would you say there was one question, like how does angle of attack affect impact location? Would you say arc depth has more influence on it? Because in that situation, it wasn't the angle of attack that caused the skied shot. It's the arc depth of the club. I'm probably jumping somewhere else here, but one of the questions we did get was, yeah, how does angle of attack affect impact location? And I can't see a clear correlation between anything like hitting down on it, up on it. It's like, that's not what is the issue. It's it's more of the arc depth thing. Yeah. I mean, it depends how you look at it. But what I would say is for any given angle of attack, there'll be an arc depth that works for it. So if I have a player and they hit too high on the face, I'm not changing angle of attack in most cases. I'm changing arc depth. If they hit too high on the face, I'm asking them to pick the next one off the turf. If they hit too low on the face, I'm asking them to dig a little deeper. So I'm changing arc depth of that player. Now, if you took a robot and shifted the low point around, so that changes angle of attack that way, then yes, it would change vertical face strike location as well. But that's not how I change it with a player. I would change arc depth. So if you ever hit too high on the face, make sure that next one, the club swings higher through impact. If you ever hit too low on the face, make sure for the next one, that club swings deeper through the ground or lower relative to the ball. So that's how I would change it. We've done a lot of myths. Any other myths on it, John? We've got... I can't think of any. I mean, to me, the big two were, was, you know, hitting down on it to make it go up and hitting down on it to spin it more. Like those are the two that always kind of popped out to me more. So I think we've covered them all. We've actually also covered a lot of people's questions too. Yeah. What creates angle of attack then? What would you say creates angle of attack? How could you change it, manipulate it? We are going to take a quick break and we will be right back. I mean, for me, if I'm thinking like intuitively about it, like let's say I'm in the rough, for example, and I got to get steep on this thing. A couple of options would be easiest would probably be to just take less club. So going from if I have a middle to buried lie in the rough, I'm not confident. Let's say I'm like, let's say I'm farther away from the green. I I think a lot of golfers get into this position where they're like, oh, you know, 160, 170 out. I still want to get it on the green though, but this, the slide is a little buried. And if I try and hit that with my normal club that goes that distance, I'm going to have a less steep angle of attack. Whereas if I just take more club, the ball is not going to interact with the rough as much. So That's usually the path of least resistance is is taking less club in that that situation. Now, if I want to manipulate it, I might move the ball back in my stance. I might get more downhill. I I think like downhill with the shoulder tilt. That was another question, ball position with angle of attack. I'm assuming with the arc of the swing and everything, all things being equal, most players, if you put the ball back in your stance, you're going to catch it more on the downswing. So that's how I think about it. I don't really... Outside of the rough, I'm not trying to actively manipulate angle of attack, but 
that's the situation where if I had to do it, that's what I'd do. It'd be club selection, weight distribution on the lead side, maybe ball position a little bit back, getting a little bit more downhill. My shoulders are tilted down a little bit. That's what I would think the kind of feels and decisions I'd make to get steeper on it. Yeah. The times I would change angle of attack, I tend to want to be a little steeper when it's a tight lie. Or if the turf is very bad, like say you're on the fairway and sometimes it's a little bare and it's sandy. Yeah, if you, yeah, you really want to get ball first. <laughs> yeah, and then other times if it's really fluffy and the ball is sitting high up, I like a shallower angle of attack in that scenario just because I feel I can control the depth. I can control where I hit on the face vertically a little bit more with that, and I can also hit some higher shots with that, so that might be an advantage. Uh, and how I change the angle of attack... There are a few options you have. What you discussed a lot of was low point change. So this is the biggest influence on angle of attack, in my opinion, is where the low point is relative to the ball. So again, think about that big Ferris wheel and you've got the station at the bottom, which is the low point where people get on and off. If that club is traveling more down or in order to get that club traveling more down, those are the people going to be before the station. Okay, so if you can get that low point more ahead of the golf ball, you're going to be hitting more down on it. So how do we get that low point more ahead? You could put the ball farther back in your stance. You could shift your weight more forwards, put your weight more ahead of the ball, or put your head more ahead of the ball even with chipping, or less behind it. If I need to hit up on it, I'll reverse that, right? I'm going to get the ball position more forwards, I'm going to get my head tilted more behind it, so in in the case of a driver. Swing direction as well. So the more you swing to the left, all else being equal, the more the low point will move forwards. Steeper angle of attack. The more you swing from the inside, the more it will shallow the angle of attack because the low point moves back. Again, these are all else being equal. Shallow in itself doesn't make an angle of attack that way. It's just when we change it in a given player, it does. Those are complicated ones. I mean, swing direction, I wouldn't be changing that in the golf course. That would be more of a lesson thing. If someone's swinging left and they're steep, we might change that. Release as well. So it tends to be that someone who has a later release of the club, a later swishing of the club, will tend to be a bit steeper. That will move the low point forwards. And someone who has a very early release and early casting of the club will tend to hit more up or less down on the ball. It'll be shallower through impact. That's the biggest change you can make is to low point position. There's also hand path through impact. So if I ask you, John, what do you think the hands should be doing through impact? Should they be working down towards the ball and towards the ground through impact? Or should they be working level to the ground? Or should they be working up and away from the ball through impact? What do you think? I mean, I've seen a lot of good players are up and out as, as like the clubs traveling down, but their hands are tra- traveling like up and and out at the same time. It's it's kind of counterintuitive, but when you see it on camera, you're like, oh, that makes sense. My focus on the impact intervals more of I feel like I'm stabilizing my hands a lot and almost de-lofting, like I'm holding that impact position where the hands are slightly ahead and I'm just kind of rotating through. So I don't really think about that much, but. I've seen the videos and what the hands are doing with good ball strikers and like they're not crashing down through the impact interval. Yeah. Looks like quite the opposite. The best players in the world are actually pulling their hands up and in through impact away from the ball. It's so counterintuitive, right? It's such a strange thing and like you wouldn't necessarily tell people to actively try and do it. Like do you think Tiger was actually thinking about that while he was hitting the golf ball? Like probably not. 
Yeah, I actually do though as an instructor. <laughs> it's it's actually it honestly it's one of the most positive effects I see in players is when I train that in them. We see instant jumps in speed. They get away with more ground contact errors. So I say they were hitting an inch behind before. Now the ball, if they hit an inch behind, it goes twenty yards farther. So they can make the same mistake and get better results out of it. They get higher launching shots, higher smashes. There's just so many benefits to it that I see. It does require a little bit of training. If there's a secret in instruction, which there aren't, this probably would be one of those. It's one of the few things that if I implement this in a, in a lesson, I usually see pretty good results straight away. The other end of the scale there is the hands are not working down towards the ball through impact. And many players think they are. Many players think they should because they get told, right, hit down on the ball. And so they automatically lunge their body down towards the ball. They get their hands to work down through impact. And that actually in chipping, that's where yips come from. It's very important to understand what not to do as well. Even if you weren't going to go to the extreme of what I do, which is actually teach actively working the hands up and in even if you weren't going to that extreme certainly get rid of the old myth that your hands should work down through impact because that can be very harmful yeah that's what i always thought the hitting down on it was that's what it caused you to do is just the hands everything's just crashing down through impact and you're just not giving yourself a chance to have a a functional impact position like things are just not (laughs) syncing up properly it is wild though if, if maybe i know you've posted images of it or videos of it but yeah watching the club head again on a downward trajectory through the impact interval but at the same time the golfer's hands are rising up it's very strange to look at they're going in opposite directions yeah the club can be working down and out as the hands are working up and in so I do have videos on this is in the strike plan as well. I've got a free video on YouTube going through some of the basic concepts of it. I think it's called what should the hands do through impact for the best players in the world? Something like that. Have a look. It's one of the more recent videos on my YouTube, but the hands can work up and in and all else being equal, the faster the hands work up and in through impact, that shallows the angle of attack. It's not a huge influence on it, but you know I can get someone to really feel as if they're pulling their hands up and in a lot and see the angle of attack only change by maybe one or two degrees. But it also changes the arc width as well and can create some more consistency that way. Do you think it's like a byproduct of like having good rotation through impact? Good body motion helps. And there's two ways to do this, right? The, the club doesn't really know how you're doing it. All it knows is what is the force you're producing on the grip with your hands. So if you were to take your body away and you just look at the hand path through impact, that's all the club knows. Now, what the hands do are tied into what the arms do and what the shoulders do and what the body does. But you see different players do different things. There are players like Tiger, early Tiger, who is very, very body dominated. You know, he used to spring up, get that lead shoulder to work up. And then you see players who are more passive with the body, like a Lee Westwood. His lead shoulder used to be more down. He didn't have a ton of rotation necessarily, but he used to fold the left arm a little bit through impact which is everybody says, oh, this is a killer move. It's like, no, it's not. I actively do that in my own game. When I'm playing my best, I'm actively trying to fold and bend the arm through impact. So I know I'm blowing a few people's heads here, but 
Well, I'm just like, I'm rehearsing swings like in the air right now. And I'm thinking about it. Like if I, my thought through impact is like, yeah, passive hands rotate. And if I feel like my right side rotating through, then like, yeah, my hands are going to go up and in. But if I made that same swing with my chest stalling out at impact, then the hands kind of continue on a downward trajectory and like that's not going to be good or at least that's what yeah. I'm feeling right now as yeah. I do it. So like it's it's almost as if the trail shoulder like rotating through and everything coming up like the hands have no choice but to come up with them and in because that's the direction your body's rotating. And like I, I do not that I'm a swing instructor, but like a lot of videos of friends I've seen in their swing, it's like a lot of stuff stalls at impact and then like the hands get they just got no place to go, but in some really bad directions. Yeah. If the body stalls, then you're taking away one source from where those hands can move up and in. So yeah, body rotation, keeping it rotating through impact is going to be a good thing in terms of that, but it's not the only thing, you know, you can still, even with a stalled out body, get the hands to work in. That might not be optimal for power. You know, the pros all use body rotation because it's good to have a, a good power source. Now, if you look at someone who uses both sources of power, you look at someone like a Jamie Sadlowski. He actually rotates his body. He springs up through impact and he folds his left arm a ton through impact. And that's why he's 150 pounds and can create 150 mile an hour club head speed or could when he was at his most elite. So... What I wouldn't do in that situation, I'm never going to teach someone to stall out their body intentionally. You know, if I'm going to nudge them towards one way, it's going to be to encourage more body rotation. But I'm also not going to tell someone to force that lead arm straight. That's where I would differ from other instructors. I'm never going to, I've taught more people to actively try and fold that lead arm through impact than to keep it straight. And there's more to the story than that. But going back to the angle of attack, Hands working in and up help shallow the angle of attack. They're good things. Hands working down and out through impact is a killer move for golf. Do not do that at all costs. (laughs) (laughs) That does not feel good rehearsing it. The other way to change angle of attack is through the vertical swing plane. So again, if you think of the Ferris wheel. (laughs) Or vomit wheel. Yeah, vomit wheel. The tilt of that will have an influence on angle of attack. All else being equal, a flatter Ferris wheel. So if we turn it more towards a merry-go-round, you know, or a baseball-style swing, that actually makes the angle attack more neutral. In fact, if you were to have it perfectly level, a perfect base, like baseball swing, horizontal swing, doesn't matter where you hit on the arc, the angle attack is level. Whereas as we tilt it more, that changes the angle attack along that Ferris wheel more. So there's more change. If you go farther forwards, you're hitting more up on it. If you go farther back, you're hitting more down on it. So that's one of the ways Joe Mayo is with Victor Hovland. When he got him to create a steeper angle attack, he also increased the vertical nature of the Ferris wheel. So he got the vertical swing plane steeper. So that can create changes in angle attack as well. It's not as big as low point position. Because as I said, you could have a perfect Ferris wheel straight up and down, super steep. And you can still be hitting on the upswing with that. So steep does not mean down. I'm thinking back to all the intuitive, more instinctual base change I've made in my practice habits that probably changed angle of attack. And everything you're saying, for me, it was mostly about where the club was bottoming out. 
yeah. focusing on that. That was the one that really changed things. And then maybe with drivers a little bit different, but certainly with like wedges and irons, it's just like getting that club to hit the ball and bottom out in front of it. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's the biggest that factor. Focus is so, so important. It's the biggest factor. Yeah. Again, your, your body is going to kind of self-organize in a way I'm, I'm talking about like downhill and weight shifts and all that stuff. That's what my body's like I'm experimenting with to accomplish that task. Yeah. So yeah, I, mean, I suppose if you take that as the biggest factor, where the low point is relative to the ball, if the low point of the swing is in front of the ball, you're going to be hitting down on it. It just depends on how much. And the things that can change then how much you're hitting down on it would be things like the swing plane. So all else being equal, if that low point is, let's just say, four inches in front of the ball, a steeper swing plane, a more vertical Ferris wheel, is going to be hitting down on it more. And a flatter Ferris wheel, if we get it more to a merry-go-round, is going to be hitting less down on the ball. In fact, it'll be hitting level if you are pure, purely horizontal. Then there's things like the one we haven't discussed is arc width as well. So imagine the size of the Ferris wheel as well. If we have a very small, tight Ferris wheel, a small arc width or swing radius, then the angle of attack change along that is going to be much greater. Whereas if we have a much bigger, wider Ferris wheel, think of a U-shaped swing, the angle of attack change along that arc is going to be less. You're going to tend to be shallower for the same low point position. So yeah, low point is the biggest factor in angle of attack. And as we said, ball position, weight position or head with your heads behind it or in front of it, swing direction, release. Those are the big factors that go into low point position as well. So those are the things I'm influencing when I need to change someone's angle of attack. What does it do, John? What does a steeper and a shallower angle of attack do? Why change it? What's the reason for it? Well, I think with driver, we talked, we kind of nailed that one with what it can offer you. Yeah, with irons or even wedges, I'm thinking more of it probably from a layman's perspective, but I think it just helps a lot more with our getting back to our big three. It's like ground contact, that type of stuff. When it's not functional and it's out of whack, that's when players seem to be, they're all over the place with their low point. I know it's, it's all connected, but that's where my head goes to most of the time with this stuff. Again, it's not my expertise though, so... I'm going to kind of defer back to you. I don't, I don't really think about it that much. Yeah, I think about it a lot. <laughs> I go to yeah, sleep I, thinking about I, angle of attack. Well, we were like going to do that. I wanted to do this episode, but I figured like, well, I'm going to be probably relying on you a bit more on this one. Yeah. Well, we talked about how it changes the launch angle. Very, a very small amount. It's not as much as people think. So it's about, say, yeah. about 0.2 of a degree or quarter of a degree for every degree of angle of attack change. So if you hit down on it 10 degrees more, the ball's going to launch maybe two, two and a half, three degrees lower. So it's a small influence on it, but it does tie in with dynamic loft, as we said. It changes spin loft by itself as well. So if you were to keep the loft the same and hit down on it more, you've increased spin loft. So the smash factor lowers. So sometimes if someone's smash factor is really low, I look at this spin loft. It will increase the spin as well. The spin rate, all else being equal, will be higher. It even, I mean, going into real deep stuff here, it changes the force <laughs> direction through the ball. 
I'll tell you where this is an advantage. So imagine, imagine the ball is that Ferris wheel, right? And imagine, so imagine the golf ball now is a Ferris wheel. And imagine you are a giant on that Ferris wheel and you place your hand on the Ferris wheel and you start pushing the Ferris wheel. Well, if you push down more, what's going to happen to the Ferris wheel? It's going to spin more. It's going to be encourage it to spin more. Whereas if you push that point up towards the center of the Ferris wheel, it actually won't spin. It won't budge. It won't move at all. So when we change the angle of attack, we change how that force is running through the ball. And that's one of the reasons why it can spin more or less, depending on what the angle of attack is. But it can also, when you have a steeper angle of attack, you're more likely to get that pro thin shot. You know, that one that is a little low on the face, but comes out normal and just spins a little higher. That's because the players have a steeper angle of attack. Whereas if you thin it a little bit and your club is working up through impact, as in someone trying to scoop it, they're more likely to get that horrible bladed shot that goes an absolute mile. So, you know, this can help on long shots. It can help on chipping as well. There'll often be times where I blade it. It'll come out just a little bit lower, have a lot more spin on it and stop. And it'll react basically like a normal shot. The end result will be very similar to if I'd struck it well. So yeah, that's a, an advantage of a steeper angle of attack as well, as it's forcing that club down through the ball. It even changes the force direction through the club. So if you imagine the club head now, and imagine the driver, right? Because it's more circular, it's bigger. Imagine the driver is the Ferris wheel now. Well, if you were to hit a ball onto the center of the face, depending on which direction that ball is moving relative to the head or which direction the head is moving relative to the ball, it'll change the direction of the force through the head. So, I mean, very complicated. But the way I would say this is I've seen players hit high on the face with a driver. And if a player hits a little above the sweet spot and they're hitting down, they'll get a weirder result than if someone's hitting up and they hit a little higher on the face. I don't know if you've ever noticed this. I mean, go out and try it. Try and hit down on the ball and hit high on the face and then hit up on the ball and hit high on the face. You'll get much, much more higher smash factors when you hit up on it as well. And that goes through how that force of the ball is running through the club head. So those are some real deep ones there. Steeper, what's the advantage of steep? Well, it's necessary for ball first contact. You know, you can't really hit up on the ball and hit ball first. It's very, very impossible unless that ball is sitting up nicely on a tee or teed up. If that ball is resting on the turf and it's very tight turf, you're going to have to be, that club's going to have to be moving down through impact to hit ball first, then turf. It helps to, a steeper angle attack helps to clear debris behind the ball. So we've talked about when there's grass behind the ball or if the ball is resting in a divot, you're more likely to clear anything when that club is coming in steeper, whereas you're more likely to hit anything behind it if that club is coming in shallower. Just think of the plane crash landing in close to the ball versus flying through a forest to get to the ball. There's also, when you have a steeper angle of attack, you have a greater arc depth range that produces acceptable outcomes. Now, what I mean by that is in every swing we make, we're going to make little errors. Even the best players in the world make small errors. Sometimes we drop a little deeper. Sometimes we pick it off the turf a little bit more or we swing a little higher. And so there's all these minute errors always occurring. But you'll get away with more of those. 
if you come in with a steeper angle attack, especially the fat contacts, ironically. Steeper angle attack actually, you could say, is protective against fat contacts because then some of the geometry on this, and say you drop a quarter of an inch, right? Say you make a swing and you flush one, and then the next one you drop a quarter of an inch in. Well, if you've got a steep angle of attack, you might only hit half an inch behind. Whereas if you've got a level angle of attack, you might hit two and a half inches behind, maybe five, eight times farther behind the ball for the same error. So a steeper angle of attack can be protective against that. If your club is moving up into the ball, You've got no chance of really striking ball first. You know, any drops or raises, you're just going to be stuck behind hitting a foot behind it or topping it. And that's where many beginners are. So when I see a player who's just like top fat, top fat, top fat, sometimes their low point is so far behind, they don't have this range of errors that produce acceptable outcomes. With a steeper angle of attack, you can also hit a little higher up on the ball and hit a, an acceptable shot because that club, as we talked about, the force of the ball is moving more down. So if you hit a, a groove low on the face and your club is moving down through impact, you'll get an acceptable result. Whereas if you hit a groove low on the face and your club is working up through impact or you hit a little higher up on the ball and your club is working up through impact, you'll get a worse result. Steeper angle of attack also allows you to hit less dynamic loft or hit with less dynamic loft, more forward shaft lean and achieve the same spin loft. So this can move the strike point up the face a little bit. So when we have more forward shaft lean, less dynamic loft, you'll actually strike a touch higher on the face. It's not a huge influencer, but in short game, it can mean a big difference. And when we get Joe Mayo on the show, we'll discuss this in more depth. So when you strike higher on the face with more forward shafting, that allows you to actually swing the club a little higher through impact then to strike the, say you want to strike the second groove, the person with more forward shafting is able to swing higher through impact to achieve that. If the club is swinging higher through impact, there's more ground clearance. So you, again, you can reduce some fat contacts there. It's probably why, you know, Tiger, when he said, oh, when I play my best, I really pick it off the surface. Which, by the way, was an entire... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You and me both watched Tiger for years take massive divots there. I think he was joking with him. Yeah, that was I, a, for, for everyone who doesn't know what we're referring to, there was a video recently of like, I think it was Scotty Scheffler with Tiger Woods or Scotty was recounting a story and Tiger was like, yeah, I played my best when I was picking the ball. And he was like, what? <laughs> yeah. Well, what he may have meant with that is if you go to Google and you type in Tiger Woods Iron Mark or Tiger Woods Iron Rust, and what you'll get is a picture of Tiger Woods' iron, that he, his A iron that he used to practice a lot with, and there's a wear mark on the middle of, on the face. And what you'll notice is it's very, very low on the face. So that's probably meant, even though he hit, he was taking divots, he was hitting ball first so well, and that club was swinging a little higher through impact, even though after impact, it was swinging nice and deep through the grass. But at impact, it was swinging a little higher, and he's able to do that because, you know, that club is working down through impact. And he's also, he's, he's de-lofting the club a little bit as well. So whereas that's very hard to do if you're a scooper of the ball, very hard to do if you're hitting up on it. So yeah, there's quite a few advantages to swinging steeper. You can go too steep. By the way, everything you've said, like the last three or four minutes, like those are all benefits I've received since I've gotten a little steeper on it. My iron play has gotten way better 
yeah. getting more down on it. Let me put it the other way. way if better. you're very shallow, as you were before, you have to have a higher level of coordination to be able to hit good shots functionally. You cannot get away with as much. Yeah. As you said before, like there's some, you have a little bit more room for error. And I think I was scared. I always had this fear of chunking the ball with my irons. I don't know why. Probably because I hit off of artificial turf so long. And I think part of the reason I was so, one of the reasons I was very shallow is because I was afraid of chunking it. And that, as you're describing, is very counterintuitive because it, it lowered my margin of error for hitting good golf shots or good iron shots. So it all makes sense in retrospect. Yeah, exactly. It's the irony that you're more likely to chunk it if you're coming in super shallow for Yeah. Because you know, if you drop say two players, say the steep player and the shallow player both drop a quarter of an inch, one of them is chunking it but only hitting half an inch behind. The other one is chunking it hitting two and a half inches behind. The shallow one is actually hitting farther behind. So that's why, you know, when I see players hitting lots of chunk shots, usually they go quite shallow angles of attack. It's very counterintuitive. Steep players usually hit the ground too far forwards, if anything. So they suffer with fewer fat shots. Now, okay, people listening to that might think, well, if steep is better in terms of contact, why not just be insanely steep? Why not just be 45 degrees down on it? Well, there are trade-offs to being too steep as well. When you do hit the ground, usually it's going in more vertically and you're going to dig in a little deeper. So hitting half an inch behind going in 45 degrees is going to bring up a lot more debris. So there's these counter effects here or trade-offs. Well, which is why getting back to our original point is like your point of the show, the sweet spot, you're avoiding extremes. Yeah. You don't want to be like I did super shallow and you don't want to be 10 degrees down if you're swinging at a normal speed. Like there's just, when you get on the outside of the spectrum, things get harder and you need to execute better (laughs) to make it work. And that's just harder to do. You're not giving yourself as much cushion. Yeah. Now with short game, and when we get Joe Mayo on, we'll go through this. There are things you can do to mitigate some of the negative effects of a steeper angle attack. And you can actually get the benefits of a super steep angle attack without the negatives of it. Because the club is moving slower, we can manipulate the club a lot more and we can do certain things that get the best of both worlds. So it'd be interesting to have Joe on there. But yeah, in terms of full game, when that club is moving full speed, being super steep probably not the best idea more than 10 degrees something like that the main disadvantage is you're just going to be launching it so low because as i said the mechanics that create a steep angle attack also tend to create less dynamic loft so when you launch the ball that low you're not going to create a functional ball flight unless you've got tons of speed tons of club head speed and if you wanted the whack the loft up and hit steep on it they're not creating optimal spin loft so you're kind of trapped between this so there's this balance here we want to hit down on it enough we want to hit steep enough on it that we get all the benefits the crisper strike the bigger margins for error but we don't want to hit so much down on it that we're creating a low ball flight that is not functional and that's where huge club head speeds that the pros have are a huge advantage because they can get the best of both worlds they can create these steeper angles attack whilst not compromising the ball flight downrange so but when we have slower swing speed we're kind of trapped a little bit we have to launch the ball higher so we're probably going to go towards a shallower angle attack but then we need better lies or better arc depth control so having lower speed is, is really a disadvantage for many 
There aren't many advantages to lower speed, I'll put it that way. What are the possible advantages for a shallower angle of attack then? Well, we've already touched on it. Higher shots can be an advantage because the mechanics that create a shallow angle of attack also create more dynamic loft. So when I see a slower swing speed player, I tend to push them more towards shallow, less towards steep. With a driver, the obviously obvious advantages of a shallower angle of attack or even an upward angle of attack because it's teed up, you can optimize the launch with a driver. In fact, if you wanted to optimize the launch, you have to hit up on it in terms of distance. You know, you've seen the ping chart where they have the color code, like green is for longest distances and all the longest distances are high launch, low spin. And the only way you can achieve that is by hitting up on it. You know, the only way you're getting close to those numbers are hitting up on it significantly. But then trade that off with loss in accuracy in theory, in theory. A shallower angle of attack could potentially eliminate ground contact completely. So a shallow angle attack tends to go with less arc depth. You're not digging in as deep. We've already mentioned that pickers tend to be shallow. Shallow tend to be pickers. So you can eliminate any ground contact, which is where you probably were at one point, John, right? You never took a divot. You always used to just pick it off the turf. Indeed. Yeah, you could say that's an advantage in a way. If you're never interacting with the turf, you don't have to worry about where the ground contact is. And I get a lot of players sit, come to me and they say, well, Adam, in your strike plan, you talk about taking a divot, but I don't take divots. And I'm like, well, you know what? As long as your club is contacting the grass in the right place, I'm okay with that. Yeah, I think people with divots is, you don't need, I played pretty good golf not taking divots. Yeah. I played very above average golf and- there's, I mean, Steve Stricker is an example on the PGA Tour. He's had a, quite a good career and he was never a big divot taker. So it's not, and I also think swing speed plays into that too. Like slower swing speed players are not going to be taking Beaver Pelt, Sergio Garcia divots. I don't think anyone should aspire to like take them or not take them. It's it's more about what gives you the best chance of functional ground contact yeah. and good face contact and that type of stuff. Yeah, touching the ground in the right place. Whether that sole is just brushing the grass in the right place or whether it's taking a huge chunky divot, as long as in the in the right place, the ball will fly appropriately. So yeah, I mean, you could call that an advantage. The fact that pickers are not interacting with the turf at all. Obviously, the disadvantages to that are the reduced arc depth margins. So here's a big advantage then or can be a big advantage is I've talked about how steeper can allow you for more up and down depth error before a bad shot occurs. Well, shallow angles of attack where the low point is more level with the ball, you can have more side to side errors. So low point shifts. So think about it if maybe the ball position was back or forwards a little bit in the stance, or maybe you shifted your weight more forwards or back one shot to the next. All else being equal, you'd create more functional outcomes with a shallower angle attack with that, especially when it comes to shifting the low point forwards. Because a steep angle of attack can quickly turn into a bladed shot when the low point shifts forwards. Whereas a shallow angle of attack, when we shift the low point forwards, just becomes a little steeper. Usually we strike the same point on the face, same point on the ball, but it's, it just becomes a steeper angle of attack. So you get away with more side-to-side -side variance. So usually I'd say that 
that positive benefit is the analogy I use is it's like having floaties on in a swimming pool that's knee deep water. It's like it's a safety benefit that you don't necessarily need that much. It's usually overkill. I think people need more arc depth margin for error. They need their safety safety to improve in, in terms of arc depth and low point position because I see that change more. When players make swings, their depth changes more than their low point position does. So we need to protect against that really for the most part. And that's why I'm guessing pros are on average slightly steeper. Because if, if the shallow angle of attack was the best version, they would have evolved towards that. And they, they haven't seemed to do that. So they have not. <laughs> when pros do something, there's usually a reason for it. They've evolved towards there for a reason. So, I mean, one of the advantages of shallower, because it tends to go with a, a less deep swing, you know, shallower players, low point, more level, tend not to dig in as deep. So if you hit an inch behind it, you're not digging in as deep, so you tend to get away with it more, right? Again, to counter that, you're probably more likely to hit an inch behind it with a shallower swing, but you'll get away with it more. So I don't know what the analogy for that is. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll think of a good analogy at some point, but you're more likely to create an error with a shallower angle attack, but you'll also get away with that error more. So I suppose it's like driving with a car with loose steering, but you're on a wider freeway. So you'll, you'll get away with the loose steering more often. <laughs> Maybe there's yeah, a better enough. analogy for it. Fair enough. So yeah, I think you know those are the main advantages and disadvantages of steeper. But as I said, pros have tended to evolve towards a four to six degree angle attack downwards with an iron. So I encourage most people to get towards those ranges if you're lower speed maybe go towards the shallower end of it if you're higher speed you can go towards the steeper end of it i think we'll wrap it up john <laughs> yeah i think we covered i think we got up to all the questions i think we got everything we wanted so maybe we start next episode by answering some of the questions but i copied a bunch of them i think we really did get a lot of them maybe this is a one-parter we'll have to double check if you don't see part two then you know it's not a two-parter <laughs> All right, so to summarize it, your club can be moving up, down, or neutral through impact. So that is the angle of attack. It's influenced things by, by things like low point position. That's the biggest influence. Then swing radius, the tilt of the plane can influence it as well. But those are less influences, much less than most people would give credit for. With driver, probably neutral. The positive is better. With irons, slightly negative. Four to six degrees down is good. There are advantages to steeper. There are advantages to shallow. An ultimate player would be able to shift between those to get the advantages when needed. So as a player, I can go steeper when I need a, a lower flight or when I need a better strike. And I can go shallower when the situation allows me to hit a higher shot and get the benefits of shallow. How to change it, ball position, release, swing direction, weight position, hand path movement, all influence angle of attack. Anything else, John? No, I don't have too much to add, but yeah, I'm just glad we, I mostly want to clear up a lot of the myths, yeah. like the hitting down on it, yeah. you know, spin rate, all that stuff. Pop-ups with drivers, yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of other things in disguise, like we said, like low point control and arc depth, which I understand why those phrases started in the first place, because like you're you're kind of all describing the same thing together, but you, know, you say, oh, hit down on it. 
so yeah, hopefully people got a better understanding of it. Again, I don't think it's something you need to like obsess over or sit with your launch monitor and, and get the right number. We like avoiding extremes and good matchups. I think it's probably most relevant with unlocking performance with the driver for a lot of people with distance. So you know, we have more resources on it. You can always go back to our launch monitor episodes, our driver episodes. We do mention it in a lot of episodes, but we figured we'd just devote this one to it to explain it more thoroughly. Yeah. And if you want the simple visuals to this, my strike plan has this. I show you how to change low point and arc depth. I show you the difference between them as well in a very simple format, even simpler than what we've talked about here. If you really want to dive into the weeds, though, I've got a wedge presentation on next level golf that goes into even more depth than this. And it's obviously much nicer to see it visually than to hear it verbally. So... (laughs) I don't have much on this in my material. But you do have other materials, John, on course management. Yes, but I I mentioned it a little bit in the four foundations of golf, but mostly with the driver. Well, give your stuff a plug anyway. Where can people find your stuff, John? Check me out, four foundations of golf. Get some stuff from me at Practical Golf. Always tweet at us. You can check us out, social media, at Practical Golf, at Adam Young Golf, Instagram, Twitter, X, whatever the hell it is. Appreciate all the support, all the questions. We will see you next time with a new episode.